the newer of you missed my, I don't know, seven-year mourning period of not being able to have a baby. Uh, seven years of every other sermon. I'm so sad because I really love children and I, I couldn't get there. Um, but our little Fee, my granddaughter, turned five months old yesterday. And yeah. And I'm kind of celebrating like, you know, no stretch marks and a baby. So that, that's working out okay. I really, really, really love children. And it breaks my heart the kinds of things that we hear about children in the news, like the three little ones that were stabbed this week in an illegal daycare. I, Lord, have mercy on us. We don't know how to take care of our babies. And this isn't in the headlines, friends, but just as true. While we've been doing our justice work, while we've been paying attention to the border, while we've been trying to do what we can to make a difference, there are still 12,800 young people in custody in the 100 so-called detention centers around the country, 1,200 children and teens separated from their parents, sleeping in strange places with strangers. That's up from 2,400 last May. Can I say that again? 2,400 last May, 12. 1,800. And what I'm reading is that there's roughly the same amount of children crossing over the borders, but what's happening is that because of our immigration policies and because parents, relatives, friends are afraid, they're not coming to claim those children, so they languish there, traumatized for months and months and months at a time. And because of the overcrowding, uh, there are going to be more tents added in the tent city in Torrio, Texas, to house 3,800 kids. Somebody will make $775 per child. Children. Warehoused. In an immigration industrial complex. So I asked, what would Jesus do? Well, he wouldn't do this. He wouldn't, like Pastor John MacArthur, release a blog called Social Injustice to the Gospel, <laughs> Social Injustice to the Gospel, and write, quote, over the years, I've fought a number of polemical battles against ideas that threaten the gospel. This recent and surprisingly sudden detour in quest of social justice is, I believe, the most subtle and dangerous threat so far. Did you hear me? And 4,400 pastors have signed this letter. 4,400 pastors have signed a statement called, For the Sake of Christ and His Church the statement on social justice and the gospel. And what do they say? They say, we deny that the postmodern ideologies derived from intersectionality, radical feminism, and critical race theory are consistent with biblical teaching. They say, <laughs> Implications and applications of the gospel, such as the obligation to live justly in the world, are not definitional components of the gospel. And, they say, we emphatically deny that lex 
lectures on social justice issues, parenthesis, or activism aimed at reshaping the wider culture, we deny that those are as vital to the life and health of the church as preaching the gospel. Okay, all right. You see how I can't bridge that? <laughs> well, our scripture today just happens to be a lecture from Jesus on social justice aimed squarely at reshaping his culture and ours, amen? So what about if I just share that with you? Just lecture on social justice from Jesus. It's from Mark's gospel, chapter nine. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a child and put it in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but the one who sent me. This is the word of God, a lecture from Jesus on social justice for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Do y'all remember your math? Do you remember the transitive property of equality? If A equals B, B, then B equals C, then A equals C. Jesus is saying, if you welcome the child, you welcome me. And if you welcome me, you welcome the one who sent me. Welcoming the child is welcoming God. Period. So what would Jesus do? Well. He would, one, teach by extraordinary example rather than shaming the hell out of these disciples. They deserved it, <laughs> but that's not what he did. C -c -c Come on, babies, sit, sit down, let me show you something. Just a living, loving, full of grace example of how to do it better. Two, it's empire time and empire culture. And Jesus understands that just like he was a product of culture, the disciples are too. So they're Romanized just a little bit. They got a little Rome in them, and he's trying to show them how to let it go. Three, Jesus doesn't just talk his talk. He shows his talk. It's an object lesson, an object lesson from an extraordinary leader. Let me just hold the child, and you'll see what I mean by welcoming him. For Jesus was a rabbi in an ancient time. He didn't know nothing about children, didn't have to know anything about children because that was women's work. So he is turning upside down what is expected in his culture. He's rejecting the I want to be the greatest theology of the disciples and replacing it with his own true sense that the surest sign of greatness is our ability to love those on the margins. Our surest sign of greatness is the ability to wrap our arms around those who are weak and can't take care of themselves and stand in the gap. And just in case we want to make the mistake, it's not just a metaphor. 
about the weak and the disenfranchised is an actual, literal child that Jesus puts in the middle of those disciples. I don't know whose child it is. I don't know where the child came from. But Jesus picks that baby up and says, not for the last time, this is what the kingdom of God is all about. Welcome the child, you welcome me. Welcome me, you welcome God. And so what does it mean to welcome? Well, I can't speak this Zulu language so well either, <laughs> but there's a Zulu parable that says, to welcome is to shut down the dogs, which is to say, to welcome is to make a super safe place where dogs can't bite. Isn't that beautiful? What else would Jesus do? Que mas Jesus, say that with me. Que mas Jesus. Well, I think it's difficult to imagine, honestly, those of us who love children so much, to imagine how radical and how subversive it is that Jesus puts that child in the middle of things. You're probably thinking, we have a children's zone. We, we, that, that's not so unusual. But in fact, in that culture and in that time, children were only above slaves in terms of household codes. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Fathers, dads, men, women, men, women, <laughs> men, women, men, sons, women, daughters. Is that, are you able to see me down that low? <laughs> children, slaves. So his object lesson isn't just about welcoming children. It's actually about subverting all of the hierarchy. It's actually about subverting a culture that was hyper-masculine. It was about subverting a culture that probably felt, I know this will sound kind of familiar, but probably felt that it was okay to take a woman, grab a woman, you know, grope a woman and get away with that, not have that story be listened to, have it be challenged. Because if it was really that bad, why didn't you say something years ago when it happened, you know? In that same culture where a, a woman's body didn't belong to her, not her body, not her slave's body, the man could enter and do whatever they wanted. He's subverting that hyper-masculinity when he puts the children in the center. He's redefining what power means. That power isn't about how strong we are, but power is actually about how we'll stand in solidarity with those who are not strong at all. Amen. And that means children, that means immigrants, that means poor people, that means women, that means gay folks, that means trans folks, that means black folks in our culture whose lives still don't matter. Somebody say amen. Jesus is recasting how we should live an ethical life of faith by centering that which is vulnerable and putting that which is strong on the margins. And so, what would Jesus do? Some of what we're doing, I think, middle family, body of Christ, 
I think Jesus would be working in Puerto Rico. What do you think? I think Jesus would be working to rebuild a school in Miraflores up in the mountains where there's no money and no electricity and where the students don't really speak or talk, where they sign, make up a sign language. I think Jesus would be in Puerto Rico. I think Jesus would be in El Paso, working on the border, listening for El Grito, the cry of those on the borders. I think Jesus would, like you, be trying to sponsor a particular family, a woman named Catalina and a boy named Juan, and help them to get through the system, and a particular family in Queens that we're sponsoring even now to make sure that they have legal help and money to buy housing and a safe place to live. I think Jesus would be oh, angry, uh, frustrated, a little pissed off, as I just am going to say, a little pissed off at the way our nation cannot seem to move past the constraining force of the liar-in-chief. You, you, you don't have to agree with me, I'm telling you. <laughs> what is true is that if Christian pastors think social justice isn't the gospel, if American politics doesn't believe we should pause around confirming somebody who molested a teenager? If we don't think, if we don't think that there are white immigrants from Russia and the Ukraine and the Netherlands hiding out in America without being rounded up in detention centers, if we don't look squarely at what's happening and be politically outraged and understand that justice is what love looks like when it's lived out loud, then we need to go outside and come back in again. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Jesus wouldn't pretend like he had a secular life and a sacred life. What would Jesus do? Jesus wouldn't close up his mouth to be politically correct and nice. What would Jesus do? He wouldn't actually care if his congregation was annoyed as long as they kept coming and tried to figure it out. <laughs> I, I, I'm okay if I push your buttons. I know I got some closet Republicans in here. Shh, I won't tell on you. <laughs> I'm really asking you to join me in a quest on a journey to be like Jesus. Whether you're Christian or Jewish or Muslim or atheist or agnostic, the rabbi that is named Yeshua surely is a life to follow. I'd like to ask us to be on the journey toward the reign of God by welcoming all of the vulnerable and knowing that that means we're welcoming God, which is to say if we're not welcoming the vulnerable, God is not welcome here. Think about that. Is God welcome here? Que mas Jesus? What else do you want from us? Amen. Amen.